Hey, you are listening to The Workplace Leader. This is the podcast where we go behind the scenes of corporate real estate, talking to industry experts about how they shape the next generation workplace. I'm your host, Sabine M. And in today's episode, I'm speaking with Roel Stroken. Roel is the head of real estate EMEA at Philips. Hi, everyone. I'm virtually sitting with Roel Stroken. We've met through Coronet's Master of Corporate Real Estate program. And I think the first time we met was at a CRE technology seminar. And the last time was actually pretty much a year ago, February in London, two weeks before the whole world shut down. So I think it's the last time that I've actually been out on a venue and met people in person. Yeah, and it was my last flight indeed as well. Yes. So, hi, Roll. I'm really happy to have this conversation with you. Likewise. For the people who don't know you, can you tell us what your role is and your professional background? Yeah, of course. Happy to do so. First of all, thanks for giving me the opportunity and good to see you again. I work for Philips. I'm responsible for their real estate organization from the EMEA market. And in Philips and other companies, EMEA stands for Europe, Middle East and Africa. I started this role in March last year. Uh, previous to that, I was responsible for the Benelux. But we decided to merge the Benelux and the rest of the EMEA region into one. So hence now fully responsible for the EMEA region. And uh, real estate in Philips encompasses so facilities management, project management, strategy and innovation, mergers and acquisitions. And we also uh, take care of the disposal of any old owned uh, lands, uh, which we still have in our portfolio. That's quite a big span. How big is the real estate portfolio then that you cover? Globally, we have uh, roughly 650 locations. In EMEA, we manage 265, and the spend is roughly 52% of the global spend. And also, from a footprint perspective, it's just above 50%. And we serve globally uh, roughly 75, 80,000 people. And also here, uh, the EMEA part is roughly 50%. And that's all offices, or do you have other um, offices and factories and R&D developments? So we also have a portfolio dashboard where we earmark the kind of uh, properties we have and what is the uses of that. So it's either office, it's either land, and it's not so often, it's R&D footprint or it's manufacturing footprint. Those are the four flavors we have in our portfolio. And quite often, a location or one building can be combined of those. Yeah, makes sense. And then this is quite a big span. You said already there is a regional setup and there's a variety of tasks that I hear that your team and that your Nemia are responsible for. So how is your team structured then? Do you have specialists or do you have people in markets or countries and they do everything? Let me explain. So from a global perspective, we have a matrix organization where we have five people now because we added India as a separate region because all the things we are, say, establishing over there. So we have four regions being uh, EMEA, America, Indian subcontinent and uh, Australia and greater China area. 
So those are all headed by a head of the market, which reports in their global head of real estate. And next to that, we have a center of excellence community where we have the various center of excellence person. They are heading the center of excellence department and as project management, it's M&A and innovations, it's transactions management, and it is facilities management. And those function report with a dotted line to the people in the market. And for the EMEA market, I've got experts in my team, either encompass a sole expertise. So I've got a director of transactions management for EMEA. We've got project director for EMEA. But due to the setup of our footprint, we also have in the market. So each market is headed by a market head. So a market is example BNL, DAG, which is uh, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and SEER. And those are headed by VRE markets responsible. And sometimes they wear a different hat. So they can wear a project management hat and an FM hat. But then they're always supported by our global center of excellence, which is yeah the four flavors I just explained. Yeah. So then the whole real estate organization reports into an operational function? Or we report into uh, the finance X. So uh, my manager reports in the head of treasury and being the financial market responsible. And that person reports directly into our CFO. We have quarterly meetings to explain and share our performance directly to the CFO. I do think that's like the most often set up that occurs that corporate real estate reports into finance. Let's say uh, in modern days, or let's say not modern, but you also see a trend that real estate is shifting towards reporting into the HRX. And I think there's, uh, let's say, there's something to say for that as well. We see that the work environment becomes much more, let's say, a tool which is also used by HR. Eh? Let's yeah. put our people in the best possible uh, environment. And then there is a logic behind that then to report into HR. Yeah. What I think it's really going to be interesting then as a turnout is actually because currently I think a lot of the corporate real estate organizations get measured by financial metrics and by cost optimization goals. How are performance measures going to be when they are with HR? Will these cost metrics still be there or will they go more into the back? I think that's something that's really interesting. And that's actually a question I would have to you as well. What are the measures of success that you currently look at? We have uh, quite a dashboard. Eh? It's all digital. Let's say our key KPIs is uh, footprint optimization. Eh? So consolidation of our footprint. It's sustainability, energy, which is quite new on our radar from a KPI set perspective, but becoming more important. And we also report in it uh, what is the sharing ratio. And uh, we use that also combined with a uh, the wellness study, mm-hmm. yeah. which is globally recognized. Is it Leesman? Leaseman, correct. Thanks. So, and we try to combine those figures and we set ourselves the aim that for our latest developed location and can be a new location or a renovated location, we do a prior survey and afterwards Mm. really aim for a 70% or higher, which is quite, uh, let's say, first quartile of the Leaseman index. Yeah. 
I think that's really good because I've been not working in corporate real estate organization for some years now, but back then a lot of times we would do surveys, also manual study on utilization before projects, but the aftermath kind of fell under the table because no budget, no time, you move on to the next project. But I actually think it's quite important that you take that reflective yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that Philips is paying attention to that, and not only attention, but also uh, providing funding. But I think the biggest value of doing a prior leaseman and a post-leaseman survey is that the people really feel heard, especially as yeah, so what is really appreciated in the location and what is open for improvement, or when they move to a new location, what would you like to see enhanced? And when you then do the prior study and they see you actually took that feedback into your new design or your, let's say, your improvement plan, that from a change management perspective and also end user satisfaction. So we also do end user satisfaction surveys that really helps and people feel heard. And from a change management perspective, that really helps because it's advertisement worth by mouth there because really... People tell, yeah, we worked with real estate and they listened and they created a great environment. And then when you go to the next project, quite often people have already talked to each other. Hey, real estate is going to change something. I know they did something in your location. What's your experience? And that really helps. It's really good if people have the feeling they have a say and they can then own the change as well. That helps a lot with acceptance for new concepts I have. No, and it's also for our bigger uh, projects. Uh, change management is always a large part of it. And uh, obviously, yeah, we, do, we have some uh, change agents in the real estate community. But with really large, for example, uh, country consolidation pro projects, we also work with our change department within Philips and heavily connected, obviously, with local HR departments to make sure that we take people yeah, through this change curve. Now, I know that Leesman has also done now like a remote work study for a pulse check while people can't go to the offices. Do you know if you've engaged in that as well? Have you done something on your own to get a pulse check of how employees are feeling currently? Uh, it's predominantly done by HR. And the result of that, uh, where Philips, I think, was one of the front runners that uh, working from home was already, let's say, allowed uh, and uh, mm -hmm. so pro promoted. But especially in our R&D department, we really thought that people need to go to office and uh, need to have two screens and a large desk. And now it actually shows that it works from home as well. But there is one but, and that's also a worry from a top management, which I really understand. It works, but to really innovate eh, and to connect and to be ready for, let's say, to do innovative things, I think there's a true added value of being in a scrum room face-to-face uh, -to -face together because this works uh, to a certain degree but if you really want to innovate and you want to co-create, I think uh, nothing beats being in the scrum room together with some whiteboards and some creative tools to stimulate that. So we have a new working setup where we first try to get the people from R&D uh, departments back into work, especially those who are thinking about their next solutions and products. So we have created already scrum rooms, which can facilitate quite a number of whilst maintaining the one and a half meters. 
I have to brace myself here because there's so many questions in my head going to that. I'm going to go one after the other. So one is, so you've been, I'm guessing for R&D probably not, but you did have flexible seating before as well going with remote or were you predominantly assigned desk? Okay. And that was a global concept as well. Yeah, the average was 1.2. So 1.2 person for one desk. And it was a global average. And we actually, in every program, we do a service as well because you've got one-to-one workers. You've got 1.8 even. Take your sales team, which is lots on the road. But we now think um, that the ratio will increase to roughly globally average of 1.5. Oh, wow. But we do measure that in every project we do. But uh, latest development has shown that a 1.5 is achievable. And that obviously also um, indicates that we can further optimize our uh, footprint. But it's not only a reduction eh, of, because we also want to create and uh, let's say new facilities, so more smaller and larger and adjustable scrum rooms just to facilitate the process I just described from uh, yeah, uh, trying to think and brainstorm about our new uh, solutions which you may, which we would like to bring to market. Yeah, so the new hyphen marks, workspace, environments, that's going to be less desks, more of these scrum rooms and collaboration areas. I understand. Co-creation rooms. Eh? So we, let's say, are aiming and facilitating a return to work post-COVID, roughly three days in the office, two days at home uh, from a global average. And people really need to come to work eh, for different reasons than just doing emails. Because I think we all uh, discovered an experience that really works well from home, but really come up to the people to connect, to meet, to challenge each other, to co-create, to have a decent lunch. So we also are looking at a larger location to improve the food offer, not only from a health perspective, but also a bit more uh, variety and uh, luxurious food that really uh, coming to the office uh, becomes an even more pleasant experience for the people when come to work. It's, I meet with colleagues, I team up, we challenge each other, we come up with great solutions, and there's a good uh, catering offer uh, to make it a very nice experience for the full day. I think that's the key word here that I'm getting a lot now that it's going to be about experience and kind of taking more of a retail mind as well, looking at why do people come in? What do they like about the office? How can we improve on that? Yeah, so just next to the co-creation setup, eh? but I think words like experience and hospitality and perhaps even a bit, it's a bit of a hotel and conference center, the function of the office becomes. And I think that's a development which will remain and uh, office of the future will be much more like a conference uh, facility where you have all the great tools and be able to connect with people and can come into a grown group and then split into smaller groups to do some uh, collaboration and then feedback into the group again. Yeah, I think hospitality and experience are keywords for the office of the future. And then going with that, has like the official business initiatives of the company changed throughout last year in that regard? Not really, yeah, because I think everybody knows, and if not, I'll shortly elaborate. Uh, Philips is uh, on quite a journey. Yeah? We're really moving into a digital healthcare solutions company. 
and not so much more uh, the customer electronics and consumer goods, which is also known uh, that we um, are going to dispose of the consumer electronics. So that a part of the business will be sold somewhere, uh, probably this summer. So there's a true focus of becoming much more a digital healthcare solutions company. And the change towards that direction was already set in uh, way before uh, COVID. And in that sense has not impacted our way forward too much actually. To be honest, eh? yeah, you've seen the numbers. So due to COVID, there was a need for uh, increased need of ventilators. Philips ramped up its production, multiplied by four uh, within a year. So quite an achievement. So actually, yeah, it's pretty much in line what our North Star for the company is. I guess along with that, the people and sustainability goals had been in place already as well. Indeed, but becoming more important because we very much recognize as a company. Eh? So our CEO, uh, Frans van Hout, is uh, very much a promoter of sustainability. Also, let's say he is part of the Dutch 2025 Sustainability uh, Committee. And we also see that our talents, especially our younger talents, really feel connected or much more connected to our company which has sustainability and environmental friendly and reduction of energy high on the agenda and is a front run of that. I think that's one of the key differentiators as a company where you can, let's say, have an advantage when you all fish from the same talent pool. Philips is very much aware of this and you see a rapidly increase of that in our KPIs and our targets and in our, our global target setting, which is really cascaded into the lower ranks of the company. Then when we talk about targets, what are the goals that you in the real estate organization are trying to achieve? I mean, besides providing a nice work environment and all these things. Uh, but obviously, yeah, that's actually the most important one because uh, it's a bit of a, uh, let's say, the true value of the company are its people and we need to take care of them. But due to some strategic decisions, we have organized ourselves as a company slightly did different. So we have quite a footprint reduction target and consolidation target. And that will be my main, let's say, technical KPI for the next two years to really drive that uh, footprint reduction and that consolidation of our key locations in uh, EMEA. What do you think are the biggest challenges that could prevent you from achieving these goals? Obviously, uh, in every international company, yeah, okay, there is direction from top management, but you have to face national or market uh, differences. Yeah? So you really have to facilitate the change, yeah? get the buy-in of your main stakeholders. I don't see that as a real roadblock, but I see that as a high, uh, let's say, area of attention. What could really block that ambition or, let's say, our targets for the next two years yeah, it's a really change in the market due to COVID, but I don't foresee we all have the light of the, at the end of the tunnel due to uh, the vaccines which are uh, available or coming uh, rapidly available now. And Philips is a health tech company and becoming a much more a health tech company. So from a strategic point of view, I don't see too many obstacles. One is, and it is as just mentioned, uh, yeah, you need to have the right people in your organization and your team. And you see the war on talents is becoming a bit more aggressive. Now, uh, companies really need to make a change. Uh, 
And I think where real estate was a given in the past, they now see it has become a differentiator to attract and to retain talent for company as a whole. And that obviously requires a different, I think, mindset. And as a result of that, sometimes also a different set of people in the real estate organizations, talents are becoming uh, scarce. I guess it's a lot of managing expectations. Like if you want to build a nice work environment to attract talents, you can't expect that this is going to be very cheap at the same time, but that's something that you would invest in. And it's a conscious investment. But the good thing is that also with the other challenges you mentioned, I believe it's a lot of that you can manage up front, that if you're aware of it, you can talk to your stakeholders and step by step prepare them for what's coming. No, but I think Philips is quite a good, uh, let's say, uh, long-term vision. For example, that our real estate cost is not it's this budget. Yeah, there is a budget, but it's always related to, or for example, our real estate cost, we are aiming that it's 1.8% of our sales. Mm-hmm. So if sales go up, there's automatically linked that uh, real estate costs can increase accordingly, the other way around, of course, as well. But it's really a long-term vision, and that's highly appreciated. Yes, we are a stock exchange company, and yes, there is a quarterly, let's say, rhythm in the company. But for our real estate, there's really a long-term vision, which doesn't force us to really do strange things quarter to quarter. So that really gives you the rest and freedom to look a bit further down the road into the future to make the best possible decisions to facilitate Philips in its ambitions. Now, I mentioned budget, and I know from my previous engagement that not owning the budget had been one of the challenges in all the discussions. How is that with you? Do you have the budget or does the business own the budget? We own the budget, and I think that's a key differentiator to really become a valued and trusted business partner because when you own the budget and you have the expertise you can challenge and team up with your stakeholders and let's say your place at the table is different i think right if you need to execute on your ambitions and your long-term plans without owning a budget that's not the best setup for success in my view I do agree on that one. <laughs> I do very much remember our discussions and conversation about that in the corner training. And I think the feedback of the group was also the people who did not own the budget, they were struggling much more uh, in stakeholder management and getting programs into place and actually uh, going into the execution mode versus the people who own the budget. So I think that's a really big differentiator to become a professional and successful real estate department. Yeah, it makes it so much harder as well to get the tools that you need in place if somebody else has to fund it because you have to prove to them first that it's valuable while they're not from the industry and don't have the visibility on the benefits, actually. And that's why I'm picking on that nice portfolio dashboard that you mentioned before. And I would like to ask, what do you have on that dashboard? What do you keep track of? We've got all our locations in there. So from a global perspective, and as I said, in those locations, you can differentiate what is the prime use of that location. Eh? And so and it can be combined factors. We've got 
all workday data connected to that. So we see uh, how many people we have on those locations. We have our budget per location in there. So our operational budget and a capital expenditure budget. We see our CO2 emissions for all those locations. We keep track of our PFM, what we call facility management scoring in there. So we see the end user satisfaction and how real estate scores our FM suppliers is linked to the dashboard. We've got all our leases and disposals in there. Yeah, it's quite an, uh, let's say, impressive uh, set of tools. Eh? So it's there are various data sources combined into a click view environment where we really turn down also with Google data. Eh? You can really zoom into a location and get all those details out there. This was also very much appreciated by the business from a stakeholder management perspective. We quite often could help them with this is how your type of business looks like over the globe. We could present them better data than they actually had themselves. So now we first had it in the background and we worked independent on it as a real estate organization. Now it's open, eh? some restriction, of course, but to the business and the business can use it as well. So it's a really powerful tool, which also very much helped to pitch real estate as a value and trusted business partner because our data was correct. Mind you, it took us one and a half year and a lot of effort to clean the data before we went out with the data to our stakeholders because you have only one first time opportunity and to make a first impression and we really wanted to do that with correct data so it was quite some time to validate and to clean that data but now it has become a very powerful asset of the real estate community in relation to our stakeholders encounters and management i remember that especially knowing how many people are on site has been really difficult to grasp, even for HR at times. And then discussing, do you report in actually hat count or is it full-time employees? Should it be a, yeah. a number with a digit in between? Exactly. Those were the discussions we also had. And presenting the data was also helping. So we presented the data and to our senior management and they said, this can be correct. And then we said, well, the source of this is our HR workday data. So please team up with your HR business partner to clean that data. And then it really works well. When you make things transparent, eh? for example, you say in this location, you have got 20 square meters per FTE. And they say, yeah, that can't be right. Well, according to the data, it's right. Yeah, but it's much less. Okay, how is that possible? Yeah, then the people were not correctly allocated to a location in Workday. And so that really facilitated teaming up with HR and uh, senior management to do those uh, cleansing exercises. And that has been uh, proven very valuable. And then besides assigned headcount to location, do you keep track of actual utilization as well? Meaning? By means of... Uh, uh, by means of how many people are on site, like live or historically. Yeah, That's what I mean. So we now, uh, in today's, uh, we have a return to work app to reserve a seat in the office to make sure uh, our office are uh, not uh, too crowded given the COVID restrictions. But in several locations, we also monitor our batch readers. Mm-hmm. So we know exactly how many people are in a building. 
And we, for 2021, we have chosen six locations over the globe to really uh, start working on our smart building solution to even further enhance that. So, for example, eh, then you have data. So then your caterer can, based on trends data, can adjust his food offering or eh, is what the, uh, the number of food he needs to buy. We're really going in down that route. For example, in our global head office, we work with Wi-Fi connectors and it links to your laptop and to your phone. And there is a algorithm behind it, which we've tested by really counting the people that based on, let's say, uh, laptops and phones, we know the usage per floor. And when you enter the building and at the elevator, there is a heat map. So you can see which floor are really heavily used or where there's still quite some uh, desk available so that people can directly choose the best possible floor to have a working seat. And that will help a lot in forming decision making and running projects afterwards. Which brings me to the question, how do you run projects and which stakeholders are involved in the decision making besides real estate and HR? Yeah, it's quite often, obviously, it's the business. Eh? So the various business groups, then it's HR and finance. Those are the key stakeholders. Um, what we did not touch upon yet, eh? traditionally, especially in the Netherlands, but also in the rest of Europe, you see eh? that the usage and the occupancy per buildings in average quite low on Wednesday, especially Wednesday afternoon and the Friday. And we also now seen, and it's also seen by managers now, if we manage our occupancy over the buildings better, eh, then it improves our uh, desk-people ratio. Mm-hmm. So then people find it much more energizing to come to work eh, because it's not too crowded. So you now also see that people are really start to plan accordingly. And so, yes, we know it's not so busy on Friday. Let's have that team meeting not on Monday morning, but on Friday afternoon. And yes, if there are people uh, not working on Friday, when you plan that well in advance, they nine out of 10 times can make it, then they use the Monday as a day off. So you really see if you start to plan that accordingly, you see a much better and even distribution of the occupancy in your buildings, which also facilitates in a more pleasant experience. I do believe that this is going to be a crucial aspect for success of workplaces to actually include employees much more and make them aware of their behaviors. Because I think a lot of the things, like you said, with most people not being in on Wednesday afternoon, Friday afternoon, it happens unconsciously. Also, when people come to the office, where do they go? Is that a conscious decision? Maybe not. And just bringing awareness to the employees as well can help inform the behaviors in the workplace. It's really uh, much looks forward to welcome back the people in its offices. But I think as real estate and also as an FM community, we really have an excellent opportunity here yeah, because there's the momentum now to take the people by the hand and lead them to a slight change how to use the office environment. And I think that can lead to a much better office experience without having too many, let's say, costs accordingly or whatever. I think people have now experienced that it works working from home. Going to the office should give an added value 
let's make sure we're all aware of that and really organize ourselves. So team up with your business and HR department to facilitate that improved, enhanced experience in the office. One thing that you've said before as well is the office will have to provide a value when you go in. Now, I've noted we both are in the office today. And I can tell for myself, it's actually a really sad space because I'm on my own here. There's nobody. And I think the value add for me would really be to talk to people. I'm here for equipment today. What I'd be interested is in what's your office value add or what have you been missing from the office experience during remote work? I think like the majority of the people, so the face-to-face interacting with the people, uh, sometimes using a whiteboard to think into solution and ideas. So team is great, teams work great, but yeah, it's difficult, more difficult to write ideas into chat boxes. Yeah, and I know there are also other programs which have a better facilitating of that function. But I think really to co-create, to challenge, and also uh, sometimes this works great, but we also have video conferencing opportunities in our offices where you can just stand and you have a larger screen and you can stand with a few people in a room and then you can connect with people on the other side of the globe eh, using the same facilities and then the dialogue becomes much more interactive. But I also have to say, I really think people are really flexible in that respect. There is a need for change and people change. I see the use of the video functions into Zoom meetings and Teams meetings quite often eh, prior to covid People uh, dialed in, went on mute. Eh? There are famous uh, movies around that. Uh, sorry, can you repeat the question? You're typing in the background. I think that behavior has really changed. 99% of the times I'm now in a meeting, people have the cameras on, which really facilitate a batch mother interaction. You can see some body language. So I think those are all, let's say, positive developments, which we'll use in the future as well. I don't think returning to the office or let's say uh, beating COVID will result that we uh, stop using our cameras anymore and go back to audio. I think this is here to stay. And I think that's a big improvement already. Yeah. Actually quite curious to me that the video technology has been around for years, I'd say even decades, but I had the same experience as you. You would just call in. There would not be video interaction. Yeah was kind of not accepted where it was not business practice back then so that's a huge improvement i do agree (laughs) indeed yeah now if you could magically solve any other real estate problem would you have a top candidate what you would like to have squared away with yeah i think budget is way too easy to answer Uh, i mean you already have budget responsibility it's just that you want more budget right (laughs) uh, that's way too easy and i I don't think that's even good if you just would say yeah there's an additional budget because uh, i think you really need to strive for the best value for money what would real estate really solve yeah i think a bit of a crystal globe where future talent pools are i think we have a pretty good side of that But I think the world is changing rapidly. Uh, You see upcoming markets. So let's say more, let's say, knowing where talents are and talents pool will occur to, uh, let's say, adjust your footprint strategy on that. I think that would be a really valuable asset for every larger company uh, which uh, operates globally. Yeah, 
Good idea. That would help, yeah, to inform site selection and where do you need to be and where don't you actually need to be. And I do think we have a pretty good view on that, especially as said, uh, yeah, we're developing much more into a, actually a software company and then a software company related to a healthcare solution, which is just different than in the past, yeah, where we still had a lot of uh, blue-collared manufacturing people uh, in our organization. And that is changing. And so uh, we know, uh, let's say, the hotspots and the talent pool for that. But I think the pace of change uh, the next 10 years and also geographical shift over the globe, that will only increase. And uh, for that sake, I think it's good to have a bit of a look into the future, if that would be possible, to adjust your real estate uh, strategy uh, accordingly. Hmm. I'd have two closing questions that kind of tie into each other. One is, who do you consult with for advice and information related to corporate real estate and the workplace internally and externally? And the other one that goes along with is, who else should I talk to on this podcast? Okay, let me first answer the first one. So obviously, yeah, those are externally are, let's say, uh, the familiar and knowledgeable companies, we mentioned Leaseman, but also obviously uh, Cornet Environment, our strategic providers, Collier, uh, Cushman and Wakefield, CBRE, JLL, name it. Internally, obviously, yeah, we, especially in today's world, eh, return to work and what is be, let's say, the post-COVID office of the future. So we actually have a working room that which consists of a global HR director, our strategy and innovation responsible and real estate. So there is a think tank for that. So that's very actual. And we really are now embarking on some projects where we really are going to deploy our new office of the future. When I talk about EMEA, that will be uh, deployed into best Stockholm and uh, within a year from now, roughly in uh, Israel. And obviously some of the floors in a global headquarters in Amsterdam. So that's quite exciting. And whom you should interview. You could look two ways. You can stay in the real estate environment but I think it would indeed be interested to interview an HR director from a company where real estate reports into HR. I think that would be interesting to, let's say, look for similarities, but also for differences when looking at two companies which has a different reporting line for the real estate department. Yeah, that's how you know that corporate real estate is actually an industry that tries to keep well informed on all aspects because everyone I asked did not say someone in corporate real estate. Everybody was curious about other branches, HR, neuroscientists, employees themselves. It's kind of cool that it has this cross-company awareness, actually. Yeah, indeed. And it also I think it also underlines and relates that real estate is a service, is an enabling function. Uh, with a service-minded approach. We like to listen to our customers. We're focused on our customers. With that said, thank you very much, Roel. It was an extremely interesting conversation with valuable insights. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks for your time. I heard there were a couple of, you're a busy man, there were emails incoming. So <laughs> I'll let you get back to real estate work. And uh, yeah, I hope that we can really learn from each other, from company to company, but especially from 
let's say, various insights from different departments, from different companies, and what is expected from real estate. And yes, we have our own direction and ambition, but in the end, uh, we are a service organization and we need to serve and listen and challenge stakeholders to come with the best future solutions. Thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Workplace Leader, there's more. Go visit our blog and have a look at some of the other topics we have covered. Currently, you can download your own decision-making canvas, for example, or tune into our next episode of The Workplace Leader.